we're talking about these windows of opportunity that occur in our own lives. And the New Year series, the larger series, has been on windows of opportunity. But within the framework of that, we've also had this mini-series that we've just focused in and zeroed in on the 90th Psalm, the oldest of all the Psalms written by Moses. We talked about the context of that song, that psalm, and how it was written out of a season of disappointment and what it can mean for all of us as we think about our own lives and times because the 90th Psalm invites us to think and reflect not only on God but also on our own lives and what he might want to say to us in terms of where we are and what it is he would like to do in our lives and the, the way in which he wants us to position ourselves to move into things. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask God's blessing. I'm going to share this word together. And again, Lord, I just thank you again for the amazing things that you do. Um, it's wonderful to see what happens when people come together and do their best to honor you. And, and life, in a way, becomes an adventure when we, when we follow you with passion. <clears throat> and I pray that we would, we would never settle for less than what you called us to contend for. And even if we have in the past, I pray that this present season in our lives would be a season of unprecedented growth and depth inside of us. And I pray that our hearts would resonate with these words that were spoken generations ago that are so alive even now. So I pray for your blessing, your, your grace and your goodness, your life and your power over our time of sharing. And I, I ask this blessing over each of us who opens up our heart before you like that window opening up to you, Lord. We open up ourselves as honestly as we can. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen, God, and amen. Psalm 90, I want to read it, uh, at, least, at least a portion of it. Connect it to what we talked about last week. So I'm going to jump in at the 10th verse. We focused in on the early portion of the psalm, and I'm going to read through this and then sort of under, underscore what it is we focused on in terms of Moses' prayer request and then finish up with um, these final thoughts around it. So 70 years, Moses says, are given to us. Some even live to 80 He's talking about the normal span of life. He says, even the best years are filled with pain and trouble. Soon they disappear and we fly away. Who can comprehend the power of your anger? Your wrath is as awesome as the fear you deserve. Teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. Oh, Lord, would you come back to us? How long will you delay? Would you take pity on your servants? And then the four pieces that we looked at last week, his prayer reaches a point of even greater expansion, and I just kind of list these things. Satisfy us each morning with your unfailing love. Would we, Lord, would you be reminded of true satisfaction is found in your love, we may, that we may sing for joy to the end of our lives. Put a song in our heart, Lord. And then three and four, based out of that 15th verse, give us gladness in proportion to our former misery and replace the evil years with good. We, you know, I had a lot of people um, give me feedback around that, those two thoughts right there. Uh, it was a unique kind of uh, effect that some people felt interacting with that verse. Uh, again, it's really important that when we, again, I, I think people, we, we identify sometimes with the idea of, of needing God to help us when we feel like some things have happened that really have been hurtful or painful or disappointing. And the context, again, is so important to remember when this psalm is written and why it is written, it's written out of the place of disappointment. Moses is talking about a generation of people who would have, in his mind, normally been, been able to hopefully have so much more than what they were experiencing. You remember when Israel was led out of Egypt, 
They were in slavery. They were enslaved people. God raises up Moses. Moses is a leader. He leads them out. God, God creates an opening, a gash. Pharaoh's heart, he lets them go. There's this moment in which they are set free. It's liberation. It's redemption. It's opening up of things. They make their way as they're being told. There's a land of promise, the promised land that they were being led to. They get to the precipice of the land, and all of a sudden what happens is their old scripting kicks in. And even though they've just been eyewitnesses to the power of God and his amazing ability to deliver, deliver them miraculously, they begin to pull back. They start to grumble and complain, and they let fear creep in to the extent that they begin to declare their unbelief that God can even do this. Certainly Moses can't lead them in. And it gets to this point where God basically says, you're not going in at all then. This generation is, gonna, is never going to experience what they could have experienced because of their unwillingness to believe me. And, and again, they were accusing Moses. They were, they were just, um, just, you know, again, falling back into patterns that had probably characterized them when they were in, in Egyptian slavery. And so they are, <laughs> they are assigned, the Lord says, you're going to wander essentially in the wilderness as a nomadic people. And it's not going to be you who's going to go into the promised land. Rather, it's going to be your children and your children's children who are going to experience the land of promise. But you yourself are not going to. That's the context that Moses is writing out of. He's writing out of a place of of sadness and disappointment. And so when we hear these, these requests, it's like he's saying out of the context of this disappointment, God, that was connected to choices that we have made as a people, Lord, would you still send us blessing? Within the framework of what has happened, because in his case, he says, because we chose to turn our back on believing what you could do, even though that's happened and it's happened because it's our, our fault, he says, we're still asking you to bless us. And it's a, it's a wonderful cry. It's a beautiful cry. He talks about, again, Lord, would you balance the scales? Would you send some good years, even in the place of the bad? Well, Lord, we just need your unfailing love. We want a song in our heart, even though we've been disappointed. It's this beautiful expression of confidence in God's prevailing love, even in the midst of what for them was judgment. And that brings us to what we're going to call the fifth principle. It's, it's the fifth piece of Moses' request, verses, verse 15, actually 16. And he says this, let us, let us, your servants, see your work again, and let our children see your glory. And again, that fifth, this fifth idea of what Moses says is let your servants witness your work. Do you understand that the very statement when he says, let your servants, what he is doing is he's intentionally stating who they are in relation to God. He's saying, Lord, we are the people that we were, we were called by you to be in relationship with you. We were called as a people to serve your interests. And he is reestablishing that. Even in the, in the context of their failure, he says, Lord, I want to reemphasize that we are your servants. Now, we have not been faithful servants. We have, not all, we have not lived up to what we were supposed to be. But nonetheless, we are your servants. We are, we are your servants, and we want to witness your work. We want to witness your work. We want you, we want you to show up in our, in our situation as bad as it is, Lord. We have been created to call and called to serve you, and we're going to ask you, Lord, to move again in our midst. And that's what he's saying. Let us witness your work. And it's a great reminder for all of us that would follow Jesus that we are to welcome him to move among us, that we are to welcome his active engagement in our lives, that we are to welcome his activity into our lives, that it's so important that we do that, Lord. Again, let your servants, what's that? Witness your work. 
Let us, let us see your reality worked out in our daily lives. And every, and every now and then, I think it's really important for us to just say, Lord, I, I welcome you to be active in my life, to show up in ways that I couldn't have imagined or anticipated. Part of sometimes just saying thank you to the Lord at the beginning of our day is to welcome the active God to show up in amazing ways in our lives. Lord, would you show up in a conversation? Would you show up, Lord, with something that I could have never seen coming? Lord, I welcome you. So that God is not just a, a, a set of beliefs connected to our faith that gets us through life, but he becomes someone who we welcome into our, our very life itself, who shows up in, our, in the everydayness of our lives. And that's what Moses is praying. He's saying, Lord, we who have, are your servants, and we want you to show up among us, even though... We've had this happen to us. We still welcome your presence in our lives in an amazing way. Would you do new and amazing things in us? And that reminded me, I was thinking about it. I was looking at this. I was going, wow. Moses is saying that, we're, that the people were his servants, but they were, they were, we, even though they had lived a little bit in a place of disappointment, that might be an understatement, he was still asking them, God to be merciful and compassionate. And it reminded me of something that happened with Jesus. There was this amazing moment where Jesus is, is, it's the night of his betrayal. He's about to be betrayed. And he can sense the cross is coming. He knows it's right around, it's right around the corner. He's on the edge of it. And in this very tender moment, he's looking in the eyes of his disciples. And in the place of astonishing vulnerability, the Son of God, the Son of Man, looks at the people who should have loved him most, and he says these words, and it's in John 16, and I put it in the handout. Jesus answered them, and he said, do you now believe? He says, listen to me, the hour is coming. Yes, it's even now here. It's the hour that you're gonna be scattered. Each one of you is gonna leave me. Each one of you is gonna go his own way. You're gonna leave, and look at this phrase, and you will leave me alone. All of you are gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna leave me. You're gonna just abandon me. I'm going to be by myself, but he says, but in reality, I'm not totally by myself. He says, he says, and yet I'm not alone because the Father, he is with me. Right? But it was a very powerful moment. He's saying, in light of what's coming, I know what you're going to do. I know you guys better than you know yourselves, and I know you're going to deny me, and I know you're going to leave me. You're going to, you're going to run away from me. You're going to wash your hands of me. He says, and then, and then what follows is even more amazing because... He says, these things I've spoken to you, I'm, the, I'm telling you this because what I want you to know is this. I want you to know that even though I know what's coming, what's about to happen, I want you to experience, and look what he says here. I want you to know my peace. Now, wow, that to me is amazing because part of me is going, what I would have been saying right there is, I'm saying these things to you because I want you to know what kind of worthless friends you are who would abandon me in the hour that matters most to me and none of you are going to show up for me. You're all going to leave me alone. What kind of devotion is that? You're big talk, but you don't show up. But that's not what Jesus said. He, he said, I know. He says, then he says this, I know that how the world, I know how it is. He says, in the world you will experience tribulation, difficulty. There are times where it's very hard to do what is right but I want your joy to be full even in your failure that's about to come. I want you to know that, that I am with you and I've overcome this world and, and you can too. So I don't want the, the, the defeat to define you 
and I don't want it to overwhelm you, and I don't want you to feel like I don't care about you even though you are about to disappoint me at a level that is unprecedented. That you are going to prove to be servants that are unfaithful and friends that are utterly undependable. I nonetheless love you and pray God's peace over you and I know he will sustain you. And again, I couldn't help but think that's exactly what Moses is saying. He's saying, God, even though we've let you down, would you still, would you still, out of the context, out of the, out of the, the capacity, out of the nature that I know you to be, would you still express your love for us, your people? Because we do believe in you, even though we haven't lived up to what it is we should be. We are your servants. And, I, you know, I was, I was thinking, wow, Lord, that's so awesome. And it's, Moses doesn't stop there because he says, not only that, what I'm asking you to do, Lord, is I'm asking you to give us blessing in new and beautiful ways, even now as we're wandering and we've missed the great blessing. But would you, in the context of, again, I'm using that word, in the framework in the situation we find ourselves in, which is, is truly not what we wanted and not what you wanted for us, but would you show up in an amazingly new and beautiful way? Because that's who you are. And then he doesn't stop it. Look what he says, and it's also listed there in the, that 16th verse. Our sixth thought here is the aspect of Moses' request. He says, let our children see your glory. Man, that's so, I mean, it's a prayer that their children, and by extension, their children's children, would experience God's blessing and glory, his power at work on their behalf. He's saying, Lord, I know we may never actually experience what we were supposed to experience as a people. Our generation, our generation is not going to get what we were initially hoping for. But Lord, by faith, not only do I ask you to be gracious to us where we are now, but I'm going to pray blessing for the children and the children's children. I'm going to pray, Lord, for their blessing, that they may see the power of your glory firsthand, the reality of who you are, that they may know it. In spite of where we have been lacking, would you show your glory to our children? It's a great request. You know, as a father, I mean, I resonate. I mean, I, I resonate deeply with this prayer. I, I have, since the days of my own, you know, I guess it's been more on our minds now because Cheryl and I, we, we, we've been talking a lot about our children and our, uh, who they are becoming as, as adults. And, and uh, you know, it, our, our desire to see them follow Christ and what we sense God's doing in their lives. And we've been doing a lot of evaluation about things we think we did well and things we should have done better. And at the same time, we're being thankful. And, and part of the reason that came up is because in two days, on the, on the 29th, our youngest child, the fourth, our fourth child, our youngest daughter, she, she turns 18. Now, that's a, that's a big day. And um, it's a marking point. And I'll never forget that day, too, because it was, what, January 29th, 1995. And I remember because I was supposed to be preaching that day, but I ended up in the hospital. That was also the day that the 49ers won the, the last Super Bowl, <laughs> um, which is a good sign for us. But I remember, I remember Aubrey was her name. That's what we called her. She wasn't supposed to be, be it wasn't part of our plan. We, we ended up, um, we had lost a, a child, and uh, 
Cheryl had a miscarriage, and I remember, you know, we, we just, we prayed, and we just felt like well, we were still young enough in, for where we were. We felt like the Lord wants to have one, uh, if possible. And uh, she ended up being Aubrey. I, I, I called her our little caboose for a while, but then I gave her a nickname that she loved for a little bit, um, Peanut. And uh, I remember it got to a point where she was playing soccer, still plays soccer. I remember one time where I, I was yelling, Go, Peanut! She turned around on the field and said, will you stop it, Dad? <laughs> Quit calling me that. It's embarrassing, right? And I, but she always will be my peanut. She will always be my littlest one. She's my, my, my littlest girl, and I love her deeply. But I was thinking about how you look back on things, and I said, you know, of all the things that I've, I've asked the Lord, I said, Lord, would, would you please, would you make it to where, if I, if I have to choose, I have aspirations for all of our kids. I want them to get get a good education and, and something we committed ourselves to as a family and, and achieve. I, want, I would not want that, but most of all, Lord, would you, would, you, would you help them to grow up to love you and follow you? Because if I have to choose, I'd rather have that one. Now, I'd like to have both, if possible, but if I have to choose, that's what I want. You know, because here's the deal. Just growing up as a, in a house that with people who follow Christ doesn't mean we're necessarily going to do it. I remember my own life. You know, I grew up in Sunday school, and there were times where it, I was around church, and, and um, I can remember opening up my heart, and a lot of times children in Sunday school classes are encouraged to open up their hearts to Jesus. And I remember doing that, but there came a critical point in my life, I remember as a teenager, where I had to make a decision on my own. I had to make a true decision. Did I want to, I, was I going to follow Jesus as a Christian because my family had done it Someone I respected, in this case my grandfather, had, had taught me his ways. But, or was I going to come to a place in my own life where I made a decision out of my own volition to commit my life to Jesus and follow him and to, by his grace, make that commitment for the whole duration of my lifetime? And I remember that period in my life where I, I, I did that. I made that decision. I have no regrets at all. And I, I think, you know, in times past, you know, every, as the seasons go, every person has to come to that own conclusion. I want, I, it's my dream and my desire to see all our children following Christ. And I really, I, I think a lot of us here, there, I know this for a fact. We talk about how sometimes kids, you know, some of us may be, well, I don't have any children. Well, we have, we have, pe- we have children who we touch. We have children of people we care for. We have family members. We have children who mean a lot to us. Some of us are father and mother kind of mentor figures for others as well. The fact of the matter is we are to pray that they see the goodness and the glory of God in their lives. That one of the priorities should be, Lord, would you show them your glory in this life? Would they grow up to follow you and love you and embrace you? I mean, I know a lot of times people, and I see, because this happens a lot, partly because of where we are. We're in San Francisco. San Francisco, even though this is my home where I've grown up and was raised here and born here, I know a lot of people come to San Francisco. A lot of times people are actually running away from God, in a way, coming to San Francisco, running away from God. I've met countless prodigal sons and daughters who've been running away from the Lord. They got disillusioned. They got kind of angry. They saw hypocrisy. They were hurt. They saw things that were not right. There was disconnect inside the house, whatever. Uh, or sometimes people just get pulled away, you know, get caught up in, in things, get off course, get off track. And before long, Jesus is in the rearview mirror. And I'm making my way to a place where I don't even have to think about it. And lo and behold, God does amazing things. I can't tell you how many prodigal sons and daughters, ones who run away from the Lord, who've come home. Somebody was praying way back somewhere. 
and the prayers fell through. And we all got to be part, and some of us are right here, right now. That's us. We're coming home where we belong to the Lord. There's not a one of us here that isn't a product of someone else's prayer, even if we didn't know them. All of us are connected. Every work that happens in God is because of someone else. I, there are people who pray for us, some, in some cases, grandparents who prayed fervently for us. Uncles, friends of the family, people believing, praying, will they see the goodness and the glory of God at work in their lives? That's exactly what Moses was doing. And he was praying for the blessing. Lord, would you bless the children? Would you bless the children's children? It was almost like he's praying, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of the generation, send the blessing. And you know, I think about the Lord, and this is the way he works. Because a lot of times you and I, you know, the, the Lord is trying to do a new thing. I talk about this every now and then. I'll say, you know, he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is the God of the generational transference. And a lot of times you and I have stuff that's been sort of transferred down to us. I don't mean literally transferred, like someone said, here, this is yours. I'm talking about how every family has its way. Every, culture, every family has kind of a culture. We have things that we've been passed down. Well, let's just call them, in some cases, their, their family dis, dysfunctions. They're ways of being that we, we naturally fall into because it's what we saw modeled. And even when we don't like it, we may find ourselves at our most raw moment dropping into it. I remember when I would see that happening in me, especially when I was as a young father, and I would be almost, it was bothered me that I would drop into similar patterns that I saw modeled even though I had opened my life up to Jesus. And I really began to ask the Lord to help me. Help me, Lord, to start in my case, a different type of generational pattern to where instead of passing down a way of being that is almost like a curse, help me, Lord, by your grace to start a new line to what comes down the generational line is blessing, not curse. Help it start. Maybe some of us are being called to be the person of demarcation where we become the, the end of one thing and the beginning of a new thing. Again, touching other people's lives for God. And touching others and having an effect. And I think, again, what Moses is asking is, would you, Lord, bless the generation? And then look what he says next. He says, it doesn't stop there. And he says in verse 17, Lord, may the Lord our God, this is the seventh piece here, may the Lord our God show us his approval. Look at that. And again, I, he's saying, Lord, would you be pleased with us? And would you show your, your pleasure over us? And again, I was reminded of Jesus, who Remember he heard these words, of, uh, of, it says that the, the, the voice of the Father spoke and it says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I was reminded of the Apostle Paul who had had a bad start in life. He hated Jesus. He says, I am not worthy to be called an apostle because I despise the way of Christ and I persecuted the church of God. Remember we talked about it in the fall? He had blood on his hands. He had been an opponent, a fierce opponent of Christ. And yet his life had been turned upside down in a radical shift. He all of a sudden opens up his life to the Lord. And at the end of his life, he would say these words with supreme confidence. Think about it. He would say this. He says to, to Timothy, he says, Finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, and not to me only, but to all those um, who the righteous judge, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, right? This idea that he was convinced that he had finished well. He had fi I had finished my life well. I had finished it in the way that he intended it to be finished. And it was almost like he was confident. It was, and then it got me thinking about the, the parable of talents. 
and how in Matthew 25, Jesus talked about in the story what a faithful servant is. And he's, and he's talking about how the faithful servant is, is when, when, the, when the master says to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I'm going to entrust you with more. Enter into the joy of the Lord, right? This whole idea of the Father's pleasure, of the pleasure of God over our lives, a life well, a life well lived. I was interacting with it, and just briefly in the minutes that we have that we're still sharing together here, I was thinking about some questions that we can think about as we head into this week and as we head into the rest of this year. And I thought, here's a question for us. What would being a faithful son or daughter look like at this stage of our lives? What would that look like? What would it look like? What would it, what would it be that the Lord would say, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased? You are my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. Not to somehow work to get his favor, but because I am loved, I want to honor you, Lord. I want to honor you because I give back to you what I could never earn. You've given me a gift beyond measure. How can I honor you back? You know, so listen to me. It's so easy to drift. It's so easy to drift and lose focus and and periodically, you know, we're, we, we mean well. I, you can even come out of a, church, a service. We feel like the Lord's speaking to us. We, we, all of a sudden, we're heading back into the rest of our week, and we just kind of like start drifting into other patterns. We're not thinking about the Lord. It's not on our mind. We're, we're kind of like sheep. I get why Jesus talked about it, who just wander off, you know? We just kind of wander into our own place. We get ourselves into trouble. We drift. And that tendency to do that. And there are times where the Lord is saying, no, okay, you're already into the new year. We're almost into a month into it. And, and we've already sort of drifted off course. And the Lord is saying, it's time to reset. You know, it, a lot of times it's so important. That when something is at its beginning stage, a little bit off, it, it could be corrected. But if, it's, if, we, if we neglect it too long, all of a sudden, it, it really starts to show up. I mean, we're, we can really get off course. I remember... You know, that when I, was, when I was playing soccer myself, my coach would say to us, he could see us getting messy, and he would say, you need to reorganize yourselves. And then he would use the word, you've lost your shape. And what he meant was that we were, we were in a situation where we were not setting ourselves up properly. We had gotten a little chaotic. And so there was a reset that was required. That can happen at a spiritual level as well. Certainly as we live our lives, we find ourselves drifting into things. And we meant well, but all of a sudden we're finding ourselves kind of stuck or we're off course. There is an importance. That's why one of the reasons David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let's go into the house of the Lord. For in your house is where I have learned to love your name. And in your house, Lord, um, I hear instruction and I hear the wisdom that you have for me. Um, I, I, will, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into God's house. We talk about the power and the value of that. Here's another question. What principle of faithfulness is the Lord asking us to commit ourselves to? Are there some things that the Lord's wanting us to say yes to right now? We often talk about the value and the power of having a small group. We talk about the value of serving in a church community. We talk about the power that comes from creating um, opportunities to build deeper, richer friendships in which we can be held in a good way accountable. Because there are some things that we're not going to be able to overcome without the help of others, that the way the Lord mediates his grace into our lives is through other people. That's part of how God works often. What entrustments, thirdly, are we being asked to protect and manage? Are the things that the Lord says, listen, for you, this is a sacred entrustment. Don't treat it that way. Treat it with care and love it and nurture it. Don't, don't, 
Treat it like it's nothing. Is he, it, we, we, and as we ponder, we start to say, Lord, this is something you've really asked me to honor in my life. It could be a person. And what does that look like? Sometimes when we find ourselves in a situation, the Lord is asking us to stop just going and drifting off course and refocus our energies on the things that matter most to him. And what adjustments does that, maybe a little adjustment is amazing. A small adjustment can produce a tremendous opening. It's astonishing how it works sometimes, certainly at a spiritual level. Small adjustments can create huge openings. Huge seasons of breakthrough in God. Here, oh, another question. What threats to his approval um, are, are upon us? Uh, I, I think, what are, what are the things that, if we're being really honest, that are most likely to undermine what God is trying to do in our lives? What aspects of our character? I talked about the, the things that get passed down to us, that we fall back into, um, patterns of being, habits that we acquire, stuff that we get ourselves stuck in, that is creating havoc in our lives, in our heart. Um, I'm talking about maybe attitudinal things, things that trigger us. Uh, you know, what type of tendencies that we have. We gotta be, listen, to be serious about following Christ, we have to be honest. And, I, and I'll share this last one. What steps then are we taking to counter our vulnerability and safeguard our spiritual well-being, and by extension, the well-being of those who love us and who we love and depend on us? And we all have areas that we're really good at. We're, I often talk about the power of soaring with our strengths. But at the same time, we have to manage our weakness. And we have to be real and honest about them. And some of us have areas of our lives. I'll give you a great example. Jesus is telling Peter, Peter, you don't know that if this is, happens to you, you will fall like a house of cards. He says, I will never deny you. I know me, and I know I love you. And, that, and no matter what comes at me, I will hold my ground. And Jesus says, you don't know your own self. And he says, then he makes this statement, which was intense. Satan has desired to sift you as wheat, to literally strip you out from the inside out and turn you upside down, tear you out at the core of who you are. I have prayed for you that you may, be, you may be restored when you are strengthening your brethren. It's a powerful truth that your faith would not fail you even when you fail. Powerful stuff, really intense. But what was he saying? I know you. I know you. Now, on the other side of Peter's denial, he's going, I know you know me, Lord, and if you know anything, you know I love you. Even though I've been that unfaithful servant, I still love you. And the Lord didn't say he didn't. Here's the thing. We got to figure out sometimes our weak, weaknesses, the things that if we touch them, honestly, this gonna, it's going to kill us or it's going to really set us back. I see, you know, and my, my weakness may not be identical to yours. We got to, part of growing in the Lord is being honest about things that I really can't get near to. Somebody was like, well, that's legalistic. You're putting up boundaries. I'm going to say, you know what? That's realistic. Because I know, based on patterns of my life, that if I start playing around in this area, I'm going to end up getting myself stuck here. Or I'll fall back into patterns and ways of being that are more characteristic of a life that I don't want to have. I have been called to this life in Christ. So I'm going to need other people. I'm going to need others who walk with me. I'm big on that. I'm going to need to learn how to engage my own life with Jesus, but I'm going to have to train with other people. And there are times when we're, we're weak, we need the strength. There are times where we need to be praying for others. There are times where we just got to be so honest about our own selves. And then look what Moses closes with. He says, 
He says, and Lord, not only do we want your approval, I want you to, I want you to approve, I want you to be pleased with us. Even though I know we started out in this situation, it's not a great thing, but even in the midst of it, I still want your approval. And then he says, Lord, would you also make our efforts successful? And he says it twice for emphasis. Would yes, make our efforts successful. God, be with us, help us, um, do an amazing thing around us, through us, Lord. The, stab, the older version says establish the work of our hands. Make what we're doing, Lord, count and have value and meaning. Give us an unprecedented season of blessing. Please, not because we deserve it, but because of who you are and we're asking for it. It's a part of a great prayer. Isn't that awesome? We are invited to ask the Lord to do amazing things in our lives, even when we've made a mess of some things. That's one of the reasons I love this psalm. Because the requests are not being made out of this, the position of someone who has done it all right. But it's being made out of the position of vulnerability and weakness and in some degree failure. And, he's, there's, and yet the requests are still going out based on the unfailing love of God. That ultimately has been revealed to us in Christ Jesus our Lord. How good is that? Let's pray. We'll close out. We've got a final song. Our time of giving. Lord, we would be your servants. We've not always been faithful servants. Sometimes we, we have honored you in ways that have brought you great pleasure. I want to do that, Lord. We want our, our children and our friends and our family. Lord, we want people to know you and love you. And we don't want people to be pushed away from you because of the way we're living. The way, when we say we love you, Lord, we want it to show up in our lives. Help us, Lord. We're not, we know we're not perfect. Sometimes we're very weak. Sometimes... We're more aware of our, our need. But even there, Lord, we see your astonishing grace and your ability to make good even in the bad. It's what you do. And so, Lord, we welcome you to do it in us. We pray that this would be a, a why not? We ask for you to give us a season of unprecedented spiritual enlargement in our lives. And let there be success at a number of levels, Lord. Not just to, to take it all in, but to also be that blessing you want us to be. So I want to ask you, Lord, let these things settle into our heart. Let them saturate us a little bit. As we move into the rest of the week, let us not, let's, let's, let's sit with some of this. To remember the principle of Sabbath, Lord. Reflect. Use the time to pull back, to listen, and to interact with our lives. Um, I pray for your blessing. Bless our, our time of giving. Many of us honor you in our tithes and our offerings. Bless the closing song, which is our benediction, our good word to close. Most of all, fill us with your grace. This is what we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.